Welcome to the Bend ICOC podcast, where we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Don't forget to leave us a review and a rating, and thank you very much for listening. We're going to be in Ezra chapter 7 today, which I'm really excited about. And we finally get to meet Ezra. <laughs> That's great. He is the author of Ezra and Nehemiah. So we finally come to the place where he is talking about himself. And he says, this is who Ezra is, speaking about himself in the third person. Today, really, the, the question that we're getting into here, and one of the themes we've been seeing in Ezra and Nehemiah, is that idea of being stirred up. And this idea of renewal, we see God working in the hearts of kings, working in the hearts of exiles to bring them back to Jerusalem, um, placing things on their hearts, stirring up their spirit with Cyrus and Darius, and now today Artaxerxes and Zerubbabel and Ezra, soon to be Nehemiah. So how we're reading about that, how do we experience that? whether it's for the first time or a renewal of that, this stirring up of heart. How does that come about? And you can open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 7, but I will read a psalm to open us up to this idea of renewal. It's Psalm 51 verse 10, which says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So today we're talking about that renewal, but also what is God's part in it? What's our part in it? You know, as we, as we uh, resolve and set the intentions of our heart, how can we also experience God's power, his stirring within our heart? And for me, I'll just say right off the bat, I, I hope this to be vulnerable and not I'm, I'm spirit stirred all of the time. No, I, I got to say that I don't feel this way all the time. <laughs> I am in great need of this renewal. Often, I don't always feel spirit stirred, but I want to want to feel spirit stirred. So over in Ezra chapter 7, and I'll actually begin reading in chapter 6, verse 21, just to give us a head start where we ended off last week. They, uh, they just finished building the temple under Zerubbabel, and they're going to celebrate Passover. In Ezra chapter 6, verse 21, the Passover, it was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Ezra chapter 7. Now after this, and after this is quite a long time, it's actually 60 years later after the building of the temple or 80 years after that great return, the first wave of exiles to go and build the temple under Zerubbabel. So now after this, 80 years later, Ezra's coming on the scene in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Ezra, the son of Sarai, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, etc., etc., etc. And you see right at the end of verse five, there's son of Aaron, the chief priest, 
just to give you a picture of this lineage of where Ezra comes from, this lineage of priests. Verse 6, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. Little explanation there for our context. He's essentially traveling four months to get to Jerusalem, and it's about a thousand miles. So after this, a very long time, <laughs> and from this month to this month, a very, very long journey, a very committed journey. Him and a smaller group of exiles, mainly Levites. You know, the, the song leaders, these worshipers, people who could serve in the temple are journeying with him. And it says a little bit about Ezra already that he's a, a scribe, right? Skilled in the law of Moses. The king is granting him all that he's asking for. And that's interesting because a, a scribe, their job is to copy the Old Testament, right? They're just studying the Old Testament and they're copying it over and they're studying out these scriptures. But for some reason, Ezra has this great favor from the king. And I'm interested in that. What causes Ezra to travel a thousand miles? And what causes the king to grant him all of these things for his journey? And Ezra, so far, we just know he's an expert in the law, a scribe. But these are the same people that eventually in the time of Jesus, right, they grow in authority to the point where they're even challenging Jesus and they're judging others. And they're saying, this is the way to follow the law and not the way to follow the law. You know, they're, they're lawyers of it. They're keepers of it. All right. Ezra now, he, he keeps circling back around as we're about to go into verse 10. He'll kind of say, this thing happened, and now here's how it happened. That sort of writing style you see throughout the Old Testament, um, kind of like, hey, God created the world, and now here's what happened on each day. So that's what Ezra's doing here as we go into verse 10. And I'll start us off in verse 9 again, in case we missed that. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Stop right there. Again, says he's learned in the matters. He's an expert in the law. But what really points to Ezra's heart and what we're mainly looking at today is verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. 
man, how do we set our heart in that way? Because I, I read that description and I'm trying to figure out Ezra's motives here. But man, he studied the word of God. He lived the word of God. He taught it to others. You know, this is very much what we strive to do in our discipleship. And Ezra is a great Old Testament example of that. And I hear that, I think, man, that that seems like such a great impact. And truly it is the intended impact and power of the word of God, that we're not just studying it, we're living it and teaching it to others so that it has its full power and full impact. I hear that, I go, that sounds awesome. I want that. <laughs> it, it, even, it even seems, right from verse 9, the good hand of his God was on him for Ezra studied and lived it and taught others. The hand of God was on him because Ezra was doing this. It's not the full picture, but that's one part of it. I go, yeah, I want the hand of God to be on me. <laughs> that sounds great. Working in my heart, but for because Ezra had set his heart. How do we set our heart? Because that's where it begins. Myself, I can struggle some mornings to get in the word of God, to have a quiet time. Some mornings I don't wake up and say, man, I'm living my why. I'm motivated by the love of Jesus. I just cannot wait to sneak away and get in his word and have renewal. Some mornings I, I just really want to shower. <laughs> I want a cup of coffee. <laughs> And I, I want to slowly work into reading the Bible as I'm feeding Sertia, you know, around 5.30, 6 a.m., whatever it is. And, you know, just trying to get the baby fed, etc. Madison and I are passing her back and forth, trying to just wrestle to have a quiet time. It can be tough. And our hearts can kind of grow weary in that. To wake up early, right? When we just have these natural things like the shower and the coffee. I, I struggle there and I struggle there often. It doesn't point to Ezra's struggle. <laughs> and that's interesting about Ezra's writing style here. He says, let me tell you about this guy, Ezra. That's me. Ezra was an expert in the law of the Lord. <laughs> like, okay, great. I much more relate to like David in the Psalms, that opening Psalm we read where he's praying to God, Lord, help my purity of heart, help me to be steadfast in your ways. And I want to say, as we see here, he teaches his statutes and rules in Israel. So two things for us and then for Ezra, for us, yes, we need to teach others, but be careful not to just teach them the, the expert view of yourself. Hey, I have a, a quiet time every morning and I'm a, let me tell you what the Old Testament means. I'm an, I'm an expert in it. Yes, we need to be growing in these things and you can't give away what you don't have, right? If you're not studying the word yourself, it's tough to teach others. But there's also just the need to teach people what you know. And many of us as disciples, if you're reading the word of God, you know so much more than the average person in the world, than the average unbeliever. There is such a great need to teach others. But in that need, I would encourage us to teach them with the, the realness, the authenticity of, you know, the heart of David that we see in the Psalms. Not just, I am an expert in the law of the Lord and let me tell you about it. 
as Ezra presents right here. But for Ezra, there's a very obvious calling for him. And that is that these statutes need to be taught in Israel. There's a, a clear need and he has a clear ability or talent right here. You put those things together, it creates his purpose, his calling in the Lord. That's why he's traveling a thousand miles. He just has this purpose in God's kingdom, this calling, this need. It's going to be very hard to convince him to do otherwise if he feels this great calling in his life. Setting our hearts. I'll go to a slide here that I'll leave up for a moment. And it's, uh, first of all, just to, to emphasize this teaching the word, studying the word, living the word for others. I'll read through these quickly. And, and it is intended for all of us, not just Ezra in the Old Testament. To study Luke 24, this is, you know, on the road to Aramaeus, Jesus is explaining the scriptures to a few disciples. It says their hearts burned within them. Man, they, and I'm trying to point out in these scriptures that there are things that can rekindle our heart and motive as we study the word of God. Their hearts burned within them as Jesus explained the scriptures to them, as they began studying it. Or Matthew 7, Jesus' parable of the house built on solid rock and the house built on the sand, right? And hey, he says, it's, it's the ones who hear my words and obey them and do them. That's the solid foundation. But when the rains and the floods come, those who aren't doing what I've said, who only hear it, they're going to have a great fall. So certainly there's, I believe, a satisfaction with a strong foundation and not a faulty foundation. To do it, John 15, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. That's so important. It's not just keep my commandments, but so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full or may be complete. Man, Doing it can lead to such a great joy and fullness in Christ. To teach others, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us are being saved, it is the power of God. This word of the cross, it's the power of God to us, it's the power of God to others. And when I first started seeking God, studying the Bible, that was such a great attraction for me to wanting to become a disciple because people who were studying with me, I could see this power of God in their life. They were changing daily. They were messing up and struggling, but also being saved daily. They were renewing daily because they were in the word daily. <laughs> I, I wanted that same power. So, wow, I, I want what these disciples have. They're really living the word of God. I want to know the cross of Jesus like they know the cross of Jesus. We got to live and teach the word to one another and to the lost if that's going to happen for others. 
if they're also going to hear about the word of the cross and its power. Now to set our hearts before all of this teaching, okay, that sounds great. Yes, we should teach others, but what if I'm just not always feeling up to that? How do I set my heart? How do I experience that renewal in being stirred up in my spirit to teach and obey and live this word of God? Well, quick Hebrew word study where it says Ezra set his heart. It's the Hebrew word kun, K-U-W-N in our English, means to prepare, to firm up, to establish, to be steadfast, to devote. It's a very, very common word. It's probably 200, 250 times in the Old Testament. But right here in the NIV, he devoted himself. NASB, he firmly resolved. ESV, he set his heart. King James Version, he prepared his heart. There's some heart work going on here. And I didn't want to cherry pick scriptures, but just reviewing the Old Testament where this word is used, again, it's very common, right? Just to establish something. It's used elsewhere in Ezra in immediate context, just when they established the altar of the Lord and set it in place. Kun used right there. But I did notice a theme as it relates to the heart. I tried to pick those scriptures. Where do we see this word relating to the heart? And there's a theme of us preparing our hearts to be steadfast towards the Lord, but also God using this action verb, this kun, to establish our ways. There's God's part and our part. So in Psalms 37, it says, hey, the, the steps of man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast down for the Lord upholds his hand. Psalms 119.5, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. 73, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. This is David going through that hard work to study the law of the Lord. Verse 133, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let not iniquity get dominion over me. Man, he's establishing that foundation, that house upon the rock, right? Psalms 10, 17, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen, or the translations, prepare their heart. You will incline your ear. That's God's part in it. Psalm 7, 9, O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. And Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There's our part, and there's God's part. In this renewal, this setting of heart, this stirring of spirit, yes, there's us resolving. I want to do this. Praying to the Lord, help me to have this heart. But then there's God's, parts com God's part coming in and establishing our ways saying, hey, you're in my hand, and it's by my power that you're able to do this. Let's do it together. So now let's look at that, picking it back up in Ezra chapter 7. There is the setting of our hearts, but speaking more to God's part in that, we've already seen the language a little bit that God's hand is upon him, right? That's where we see God in this chapter. 
It says in verse 6, hey, God's hand was working there. Um, for the hand of the Lord as God was on him, it says there. And then again in verse 9, for the good hand of his God was on him. So why did the king favor him? Why did the king do all of this? Well, because God's hand was on Ezra. And let's keep reading in verse 12 now. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, to the scribe of the law, God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or the priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem." With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. There's a lot of gold going to them right here. All over the province, the free will offerings, hey, do with it whatever you want. And also let's open up my treasury. And here we go, verse 21. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest to the scribe of the law of God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cords of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. And a little bit of motive there for the king. He wants God's favor, right? <laughs> Verse 24, we also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or the other servants of the house of God. They get an awesome tax break. Verse 25, and you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river. All such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Same for us today. Many do not know the laws of God. We have a calling to teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who puts such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up 
with me. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> we see God's part working through this king. Hey, it, it, it's almost scary. <laughs> Go to Jerusalem and I'm going to give you the authority to confiscate property, you know, create the tax system, imprison people, execute them, if you will, appoint judges according to the law of the Lord. <laughs> that is quite a lot of power. Crediting that power to the hand of the God, hand of God moving in Ezra, being with Ezra and moving in the heart of this king. I said it before, uh, Proverbs 21, it says that king's hearts are in the hand of God. And I'm paraphrasing that, but God's hand, we want to define that statement. Quite simply, I'll end my screen for a moment here. We don't need to look at those verses, but the hand of the Lord, that's what we see repeated here and only here, this chapter throughout the book of Ezra, the hand of the Lord did this, hand of the Lord that. What does that look like in our life? Because <laughs> this is a major part in renewal and in our heart work. What does it mean to have the hand of the Lord working in our life? Well, Usually it comes through in, in majority of scriptures, quite simply, just the visual power of God being seen. Man, I can see the power of God working here. And so they describe that as the hand of the Lord. Several places in the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord can go against people and he can cause plagues and all sorts of horrible things to come about. We probably don't want that. But even when the hand of the Lord is honest and working in a good way, it doesn't mean life is all great and the king's going to give us everything. And there's a powerful reference to Acts 11. Stephen is stoned, right? The first Christian martyr and a great persecution breaks out. He, he's murdered for his faith and he's a deacon, a man full of the Holy Spirit. So the persecution breaks out and they're scattered everywhere. And then it says just a few verses later, the hand of the Lord is with them and a great many believed. <laughs> so there's incredible persecution and they're dying and their spirit stirred and spirit filled and the hand of the Lord is with them. But it doesn't mean that everything in your life is golden. The power of the Lord, the hand of the Lord that they could see working in that was other people coming to a belief of God, even during that persecution. Hand of the Lord it isn't something we have to search for and go, oh, do I possess it or not? How do I find it? You know, John 10, the good shepherd, it says, hey, you are in the Father's hand. Like, this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> know that God is working within your heart. But specifically, the hand of the Lord here in Ezra chapter 7. If we were to only read... And here's the, here's the friction. If we were to only read that Ezra chapter 10, hey, the hand of the Lord was with Ezra for he set his heart to study and live it and teach it. Then it reads that, hey, the hand of God is with us because we do these things, right? But in Ezra chapter 7, verses 27 and 28, 
Ezra doesn't credit the hand of the Lord to his own merit or his own works, or, hey, I, I earned this, all these blessings from God. He doesn't credit it to that. Specifically, it says, and I'll read it again, verse 27, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. So you notice where that for comes in. Ezra sets his heart. He takes courage. He's strengthened by the Lord because the hand of the Lord is on him. And that's God and us working together or God and Ezra. Hey, or you could ask it this way, you know, why did Ezra set his heart? Well, right here it says because the hand of the Lord was on him. And why was the hand of the Lord on him? Well, it said back in verse 10, because he set his heart. <laughs> That's the, the sentence structure, both of them working together. And it describes it a little more here that the hand of the Lord was on him by his steadfast love being in his life. So it's both God loving Ezra and the overflow of that, Ezra's gratitude. Yes, I'm going to travel a thousand miles and teach the word. But at the same time, it's the steadfast love, the steadfast heart of Ezra loving God back. Both are a motive. God loving us and us loving God, both and working together to stir our hearts. Now, I have a, a clip to play, and I got this approved by the wife, on, on what this looks like. When the hand of the Lord is upon us, it's just one minute. It's from a cinematic masterpiece known as Nacho Libre. All right, here we go. One minute. Okay. Orphans, listen to me. Listen to Ignacio. I know it is fun to wrestle. A nice pile drive to the face or a punch to the face. But you cannot do it because it is in the Bible not to wrestle your neighbor. So you've never wrestled? Me? No, come on, don't be crazy. Listen, I know the wrestlers get all the fancy ladies and the clothes and the free creams and lotions. But my life is good. Really good. I get to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and make some soup. It's the best. I love it. I get to lay in a bed by myself all of my life. It's fantastic. Go. Go away. <laughs> That's so memorable to me for the comedic reasons, obviously. And of course, it's, it's the cringe of he's describing his life, <laughs> waking up alone at 5 a.m., but with a smile on his face, and this is great. And of course, you watch the film, he humbles himself, and God lifts him up, and God is with him. I play that clip because when God's hand is on us, our life may not be great, 
by worldly terms, but we do have a great God and we can share about him. Again, when it comes to studying the word, doing the word, teaching the word, it doesn't mean I have my life all together. I'm an expert in the law. It does mean I can be real with my life, share some of my struggle. Just this, just this morning, you know, that, that happened online. I, I brushed up my LinkedIn account and uh, I posted something about God on there and somebody commented and, oh, it's so refreshing to see this on LinkedIn. I don't see this on LinkedIn a lot. And I don't really know how LinkedIn works, but somebody was reached and it, it was me just being a little vulnerable about trying to figure stuff out with God, not saying, hey, I got it all figured out. Here you go. It's, yeah, it's, it's Nacho saying, hey, you know, my life is good, really good. <laughs> but he's also sharing the struggle. Now, for us as, as Christians, as disciples right here in Bend, Oregon, no, we don't want to be experts in the law when we share this teaching with others. But you also got to be very careful not to only share the doom and gloom, right? Oh, hey, I'm a disciple. I, I hope you come to my church because I just can't figure out anything in life and I'm really struggling with a brother and et cetera, et cetera, right? <laughs> it doesn't paint a great picture, but what does paint a great picture is, hey, I'm on a journey. God's not finished with me yet. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out every morning. Like I, I open the word of God and I'm scratching my head and I'm, I'm studying because I don't have it figured out. Man, do you want to come on that journey with us as we figure it out together? Do you want to pursue that with us? That's actually what happened to me with Ezra 710. I was scratching my head. I was like, man, how do I teach other people to, to set their heart, to have this renewal? And I realized after hours and hours of studying, I said, oh, I just spent hours and hours studying this <laughs> and was motivated because I didn't know how to teach it. <laughs> and I wanted to share it with others. And I was not an expert at this scripture. I was struggling to figure it out. And here now, look, I'm, I'm teaching it. We need to, to struggle to become teachers, to figure it out. And we need to share that struggle with others, not only doom and gloom, but our struggle that glorifies Jesus and the power of his cross. That's what attracted me to disciples, not just that they had the word figured out, but that it pointed back to the power of the cross. And this is big, another realization I had. So I'm trying to get our, our church YouTube going. Just a real practical thing I'm doing right now. Many of you know, I'm trying to put out a video a week put out one about fasting the other week. The only thing that video really has going for it is I'm up in the mountains, so that's unique. And and my whole thing about fasting was I forgot my bag at home and had to drive all the way back. And I realized, oh, that's like fasting. You know, you can't go on the Christian walk or go into the wilderness without your gear and everything you need, your survival kit. Same thing, we need prayer and fasting. That was That was something I found out because of failing and a mistake and was a real personal experience that I could share. It wasn't an expert, here's how to go on a 10-day water fast and I do it all the time, because I don't. 
In fact, I want to put out another video of what do you do when you fail in your fast and you forget and accidentally ate a jelly bean. Oh no. So people need to know what to do in that struggle and that failure. And the thing about YouTube is it's oversaturated. I would even say in the Christian world, it's oversaturated by experts, right? There's probably two dozen how to fast videos with experts in the law <laughs> that come from some seminary that can give you a 40 minute lesson on how to fast. And I, I can't really match that, but I can share, here's how I messed up and what I learned, what not to do when fasting, epic fail when fasting, but not only the doom and gloom, but man, how the hand of God is in our life, how he is establishing us our steps, helping us to remain steadfast in him. So, I, you know, I hope that, you know, I think of, what is it, First Timothy, you know, persevere in your life and doctrine, watch both of them closely. By so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers, or on YouTube, it's our viewers, but even just in our life. Don't only be sharing, I have this perfect doctrine. Persevere and watch your life closely and how you're struggling in that life, how the hand of God is working in your life. That's what our hearers need to hear in Bend, Oregon. That's what our viewers need to hear on YouTube. And I, I hope I can start helping them to hear that, be more vulnerable. That's what I wanna lean into, the hand of God. Again, Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God's in control. He's worked through, now this is our, our third or fourth king that we see in the book of Ezra, giving everything towards Jerusalem to make it happen. God does so much and can do so much in our hearts. My last point about renewal is that I think it breaks down if we try to do it all by ourselves, right? Well, I'm going to set my heart. I'm going to figure it out. I'm just going to work harder. That's not going to bring about renewal. I'm just going to pray harder, fast harder. Renewal probably isn't going to come from that. Same if you only put it on God and God's hand. Well, God's in control. It's God's hand. He's, you know, only God can bring about renewal. So I'm just going to sit and watch. Probably not going to renew your heart that way. <laughs> But when combined, when put together, the resolve of our heart, the preparation of our heart, along with the hand of God and him establishing our ways, renewal can come from within our hearts, within our community, and with God. Man, I, I wouldn't want renewal any other way if God wasn't want to wasn't a part of that. Again, the psalm I shared at the beginning, Psalm 51 and 10, this prayer of Lord, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit, which is the Hebrew word kun right there, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's what we want to have for renewal, right? That's what we need as a precursor, if we're ever going to come to studying the word, doing the word, 
teaching the word. Ezra went on to teach and do amazing things here. And I can't wait for us to read on in the following weeks about how God uses this heart and God works through him. But we're going to end right there for today. Because all of that begins with his heart. This king moving, Ezra journeying a thousand miles begins with the renewal of the heart. Father God, I thank you so much for this passage. Lord, the, you know, we get unbalanced at times. Sometimes we rely too much on ourselves. Sometimes we put everything on you. Sometimes we look only at Ezra 9 and 10, and we, we try to do so much of our own heart work. Sometimes we only look at Ezra 27, 28, and say it's only God that's going to move other people. But Lord, we want to have both together. Lord, we, we want to be studying your word, doing your word, teaching your word, to the effect that it shows your hand in our life. God, I... I'm so thankful for the brothers and sisters on this call. I'm thankful guests have come around, Lord, and they've said, man, I can really tell that you guys are passionate. They point out individuals in these church, they, they can see that they're stirred up. Lord, we know that you can help us to be there. But God, we're not always there. I'm not always there. Lord, I need your help in establishing my heart renewing my steadfast spirit. God, I, I quite simply just need your hand in my life, your direction. Help me to see those needs, God, your calling in my life, to see opportunities where I can teach, even right now, whether it's online, offline, in the church, out of the church. God, even if we became these experts in the law, it would be meaningless without pointing back to you and your power. Lord, that's what we want to remember right now as we take the bread and take the juice. The power of your cross, God. That's the word, the gospel we want to share. Help us to remember that and help that to be an overflow, a source of our renewal within our hearts, God. To help us enter your word. To help us have a setting of heart and resolve. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It would mean so much to us if you were to leave us a review and a rating for our podcast so that this message can reach others. Thank you.